We are continuing, um, this week we're continuing in uh, a series uh, working our way through the book of Ephesians. And so we have basically been going chapter by chapter with a little bit of a, a, a doubling up of Ephesians 3. There's a couple big thoughts that um, I think God wanted us to just to, to sit in in that, in that particular chapter. But working our way through, we're in Ephesians chapter 5. And there's two themes that are going to start emerging as we get to this moment. Remember, this is Paul writing from prison to a church that's, uh, this church is trying to figure out what life looks like in um, what would be, by any of our standards, un, like, unex, like unexpected kinds of circumstances. They have chosen to follow the way of Jesus, and now they are experiencing hardship. Right? They're experiencing persecution. They're experiencing circumstances that, that don't always feel good. And so Paul is writing this letter to them. He's talking about transformation. He's talking about the way that, that, that life is built, now that they're followers of Jesus, is built on the foundation of what Jesus has done for them. And he says, and so this is what it looks like to live this out. And he's, he's not talking just as to individuals, but he's saying as, as individual people who are part of a Christian community, this is what it should look like. And the themes that will emerge as we, as we move into this particular chapter, into chapter five, is um, this idea of gratitude. This idea of, God, thank you. Thank you for sustaining. God, thank you for what you're doing. Thank you for the opportunities in life that you, that you present to, to be on the front row, like have a front row seat as, as you get a hold of people, as the lights come on in people's lives. That, and there's this idea of, of gratitude and there's this idea of opportunity. And those two pieces just weave together as Paul describes what life looks like to talk about, as we have talked about, applying faith to the act of living, to talk about applying gratitude to the act of living, saying, God, thank you. And then we look at our lives and we say, what does it look like for us as a people to, to operate with what we would describe as grateful living, which is a, a way of saying, so, so if I take the gratitude that I have for what God has done, right? If I really remember the, the condition that I was in, if I really remember what, what kind of way was actually made for me, then what should come out of my life? What should, what should shape and, and, and move me forward is, is this idea that gratitude should become a way of living, so Paul is talking about that, and he's talking about this idea of, of Christian community being a place where gratitude becomes the normal way of operating, where we say, God, thank you, because we have been given so much. Even if it feels like circumstances aren't ideal, if it doesn't feel like all of our expectations are being met, we pause and we remember what we have received. We remember what has been done, and we allow that to be the thing that drives us. The tension for us as human beings, right, which is, that has not changed. This is still, the church is still made up of human beings 2,000 years after Paul wrote the letter to the church in Ephesus. It's still people, right? We're still people trying to sort out this journey, this, this faith journey with, with all of the things that, that, that humanity brings to the, to the equation. And we operate in this idea of scarcity and abundance. We, we talk gratitude and we talk opportunity, but, but the, 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 the thread that maybe helps us understand the human part of this is is this idea of scarcity and abundance because it's, well, what should I be grateful for? What kind of opportunities are we even talking about? And so we start to, to operate, saying, how do we operate with this, with this idea of what is scarce and what is abundant? What is, what is it that we should be taking hold of? And so one of the things that has come to just in, in, in processing and God dealing with my own, my own way of operating um, is, is we see time, right? So we talk, start talking about time and opportunity. We see, we see time or maybe the things that we want to have or the things that we think would make life complete. We see time as scarce, right? We see it's like, I just don't have enough time. If I just had another hour in the day, if I just had another day in the week, then I could get all these things done. And we, and we look and we chase after time. 
because it feels scarce, because it, it feels like it's something that we can't control, right? That it's this, this like, like scarce resource for us. And so we do what we can to try and hold on to. We do what we can to try and, and figure this out. And so we, we spend our time trying to hold on to, take hold of time because we, we see it as scarce. So we hold on to this. The problem is, the problem is time is not, is not what's scarce. The real scarcity is opportunity, right? It's the, it's the moments that give time meaning. It's the moments where we're, we're, we're invited to be part of something bigger than ourselves. We're invited into a conversation that, that God is having with somebody else that, that we get to speak life and truth into, into these moments, that there's these opportunities that exist. And we're so often so busy holding on to the thing that's not really scarce. We're holding on to time or trying to protect our time or trying to, to get more time that we somehow miss the opportunities that happen and exist within time. So the real scarcity is opportunity. When I was a kid, uh, my parents, I think with, with two brothers, my mom was always looking for things to keep us busy, right? There's this just like reality of being like boys that you just need to like put energy somewhere. And so one of the ways that she solved that was saying, so you guys will play a sport every season of the year, right? Whether you like that sport or not. So, so Nate got to play basketball, and I don't love basketball. I'm not great at it. Um, I got to play soccer, which I did love. I ran track. And, um, but then the, the sport that I loved the least, right? The sport that if you try to get me to sign up for it, I'll probably just say, I will totally, I'll cheer for, uh, cheer for you, but I will not probably show up to play, was baseball. Right? I like watching baseball. I don't love playing baseball. What, what we discovered over time, that we didn't know then, um, is I have an astigmatism that makes the, like, the, the depth perception of a baseball coming my way at the plate not look like it's coming at the right spot. So I'd be standing at the plate and swinging where the ball was not, right? Which is not any fun. That's the payoff of playing baseball is, is getting to hit the ball. Um, so it wasn't exciting to me. And so we would play and I would be put out in as far out into the outfield in the least kind of strategic position that was possible um, so they put me out in the, in the outfield, and I would stand out there as this little kid and look for four-leaf clovers. <laughs> and so one year, I was, you know, if I could have gotten an award, it would have been for the most four-leaf clovers that were found during baseball games. <laughs> it's like, um, I was that kid, right? This like, hey, look at that. And if the ball would happen to come near me, it's like, all right, you're interrupting my four-leaf clover hunting time. <laughs> this, is, this is not what's happening. So it, like, it's a, shocking how many four-leaf clovers you can find when you're avoiding playing baseball, right? And so um, here I was searching for four-leaf clovers in the middle of a baseball game, right? Taking the thing and allowing my attention to be focused on something that was, that was not what was actually my, where my attention was supposed to be. And so when I look at this passage, I, I hear Paul speaking to the church in Ephesus, and in so many ways it's like he's saying, guys, make sure you're not in the middle of the baseball game holding on to four-leaf clovers and searching for four-leaf clovers. There is a, a more important thing that you should be seeking out. Because what we see, and there's the, here's the tension, you talk opportunity and, and, and attention and scarcity and all these things, um, what we see as scarce, what we see as scarce gets our focus and gets our attention. Have we noticed this? So whatever it is in your lives, it's probably not four-leaf clovers during a baseball game, but there's, there's things in our lives where we think there's just not enough of that to go around. Right? There's just not enough of that to, to, to make me feel like I have, have all the pieces of it that, that I'd like to have. So what we see as scarce, what we see as, as the thing that, that is scarce gets our focus and gets our attention. And what we see as abundant, what we see as abundant becomes part of the context in which we pursue the scarce. 
that make sense? And so, so when we talk about opportunity, we see opportunity. If we see it rightly, then what we see is opportunity is the, is the thing that's scarce. And then time becomes the context in which we pursue opportunity, right? Time becomes the context, the context in which we, we seek out those kingdom opportunities, those moments where it's like, God, what are you up to and, and how can I get in on that? Instead of holding on to the thing that really is the context, we hold on to or focus on or pay attention to the thing that, that gives that context meaning. So here we are looking to make a move, right? As Paul talks about what this can look like for us, we, we're, we're invited to make a move from, from how do I want to spend my time to what does God want me to do with this opportunity, right? That's what I'm talking about when I say what's the context and what's the thing that we're seeking? What's the, what's the, what's the abundance and what's the scarce? What's, what's context and what's the pursuit? What is it that we're looking for in that? So we move from how do I spend my time or how do I want to spend my time so what does God want, to, want me to do with this opportunity? The good news, the good news is that we can get this right. The good news is that we can, as we, as we lean in and listen, we listen to, to Paul speaking to people wrestling with the same kinds of realities, maybe different kinds of distractions, but, but the same kind of reality. And what Paul seems to be saying is, we talk about opportunity, we talk about scarcity and abundance, we talk about focus and attention. All of this all of this we can get right if we, if we get one piece right, and that piece is gratitude. When we look at what has been done, when we look at what might be able to be accomplished through us as we lean in and listen and allow God to work in us and through us. So Paul is writing to this church. He's, he's still describing Christian community. He's talking about what it looks like to live out faith together. And then he gives a warning to them, beginning with the, in verse 15 of, of Ephesians chapter 5. He says, be, be very careful. Right? Be very careful then how you live, not as unwise, but as wise. It says, making the most of every opportunity because the days are evil. So Paul is saying, so, so take hold of. Right? He doesn't say take hold of your days. He doesn't say try and get more days. Don't try and make your days longer. He says, make the most of every opportunity. He says there are two ways to live. There's unwise and there's wise, right? To, to live wisely means that we, that we know things, that we're learning, that we're growing, that we're, that we're growing in knowledge, but then to live wisely. So I'm going to take that wisdom, I'm going to take what I'm learning, I'm going to take the, the, the road that's, that's brought me to this point, the, the experiences and all these things that, that I've come to understand about God and about the journey that he's put in front of me, that I'm going to take that and I'm going to live wisely, not just think wisely. I'm going to actually apply that to the way that I live. I'm going to actually live in a different way. I'm going to allow the, my choices and the, and the things that I do to be marked by the wisdom that, that God has given me. To know and to do, right? Just in the same way that we apply faith to the act of living, that we apply wisdom to the act of living. But it comes to a big question. Paul says, so, so live not as unwise, but as wise. The question is, by what standard? Is it by the standard of the world? Is it going to be that we're going to live wisely by what the world would suggest would be our priorities? Are we going to live wisely by, by what the world would say that we're supposed to, in the way that the world would say we're supposed to live? Or are we going to allow God to be the, to be the one that establishes what wisdom looks like? To, to, to allow God to, to, to be the one that answers that question for us. What does living wisely look like? Because it's not enough to just say, I want to live wisely. Say, by, by what standard? Right? By, 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 by what framework do I mean that I'm going to live wisely? And so Paul doesn't stop with just saying, so you need to choose wisdom or, or a lack of wisdom. He says, so, so that means take, making the most of, make the most of, get the, the very most out that you can out of every opportunity. 
which means that we start to look at not time necessarily as the thing we're stewarding, but we're looking at opportunity as what we're stewarding. We're saying, so, so what does it look like to, 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 steward, to, to steward our time and attention so that we can make the most of every opportunity to think of our lives, to think of the time that, that, as the context in which we, we accomplish what, what God has put in front of us, to, to look at it this way, to say, well, so, so maybe what we need to think of is, is this, this thing, maybe it's a, like capitalized time. Right, where we actually have, have assigned value to this, this time that, that has incredible opportunity in the middle of it. The, the context that the opportunity exists you can say that we're trying to exploit time in the most positive kind of way, making the very most of, of what we have, making the very most of the time that's, that's, that's in front of us so as to use up all possibilities. To say, so, so what is it that, that at the end of all of these things that I can look back and say, I, I made the most I made the most, not just of, the, of, of time, but of, of the opportunities that were in front of me. I took hold of the things that God was trying to do, the things that he put in front of me. I didn't hold back. I said, God, what is it that you want to do? How can I get in on it? Which means that in some ways we almost have to have this, this disdain for time, Paul saying, so, so the days are evil, right? So, so we don't hold on to those things. So we, we in some ways have to, have to think differently. We have a different framework for the way we approach time. And so we focus on opportunity rather than time. Because the question that, that, that plays out when we start talking about the wisdom of the way that we operate is, is, what's the point of more time? What's the point of more days if we're not putting them to use? Right? If we're not doing something of value with them, if it's just time, without the meaning that opportunity, without the meaning of, 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 of doing things that are meaningful, without, without all of that, what, what, what's the value of more time without, without more experiences, without more, more memories being made, without more opportunities being, being maximized as they, as they come our way? Paul is saying, so what's the point if we don't put them to use, if we don't take hold of making the most of what's in front of us? He says, so don't be foolish, verse 17. So now we're not just talking about unwise and, and wise. He says, so there's a, the way that we can go where, where it's actually a, a way of operating that's, that's foolish. But then he gives the answer right out of that. So, so, so what does it look like to, to not be foolish? He says, so understand. Understand what the Lord's will is. Which means what Paul is describing is more than just single choice. Right? We talked about cho- a choice and then the choices that support it. We talked about that last week. But what Paul is saying is that, that there is this way of living Right? We can't just once choose, I'm going to be wise, or I'm going to live wisely. There are choices that, that support that. There's a way of living that supports that. It's more than a single choice, because if it was just in front of us to say, so here's two ways of living. We have, we have wise and we have unwise. We'd say, well, like, I'm going to, even if I don't know exactly what that's going to look like, I'm going to choose wise. But Paul says it's not just that you choose wise, it's that you live wisely wisely, which means that you avoid foolishness, even when there's a gravitational pull, right, as human beings towards foolishness. We know this is true, right? Maybe it's easier to see in other people than to see in ourselves, but we look and we're like, there is a gravitational pull towards the the nonsense. There's a gravitational pull towards distraction. There's a gravitational pull towards living unwisely. And so it's not just a choice, but it's the choices that keep us on track. It's the choices that that continue to to help us walk the path that that has been put in front of us. So the question is, how do we avoid foolishness? How do we avoid being foolish? And Paul says, so, so know what the Lord's will is. Focus 
on the will of Jesus. So, so what is it that Jesus wants to do? What is it, what is it that Jesus would do if, if he was right where you are with the same decisions and same opportunities and, and same context? What is it that Jesus would do? What would be his will in this moment? And we start to look at that and say, so, so maybe if, even if like Nate's will isn't exactly what Jesus' will would be, I'm going to opt for doing what Jesus would do, which is not foolish, right? Which is, which is the wise choice, which is the, the, the better way forward. So we focus on the will of Jesus. We, we seize opportunities. We live intentionally, saying, so, so if, if Jesus was here, what would Jesus be doing? Then I want to get in on that same sort of thing. I want to operate in that same way. And, and when we start to do that, then we start to realize that it's not even a question anymore of foolish or, or not foolish. It's a question of purpose and intentionality and, and God doing through us things that, that we can't, couldn't have even imagined before. So we seize opportunities. We live intentionally. For some of us, maybe we're early in this journey. Where we're like, I don't even know. Like, how would I even know what the, what the Lord's will is? What, was it, what is it that, that God would want me to do? And so we take these decisions, maybe that seem like they're even small kinds of decisions, and we, and we take the, the decision that's in front of us or the opportunity that's in front of us, and we say, with what I know about God, right? maybe I'm still learning, maybe this is going to take the rest of my life to, to learn all these things, but, but what I know, instead of saying, well, I don't know everything, what do you say? So because God is consistent, what is it that, that I know of God? Okay, so how should I choose or what decisions should I make in light of what I know to take what we know about God and to allow that to be the filter in our decision making, to take what we know about God to, to, to be the thing that, that helps us understand what the way forward actually is. So even if we only have what feels like this little glimpse or a sliver of understanding, what we know about God's nature, what we know about the way God operates can become that filter for us saying, is this consistent? If I make this decision, is it consistent with what God would want from me? Is it consistent with what the life that, that with the life that God has created has created me for? And so Paul gives one example. He says, So so don't get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the Spirit, speaking to one another with psalms and hymns and songs from the Spirit. And Paul is is addressing, he picks one particular piece of, of life, and he's either addressing some sort of specific concern for the for the church in Ephesus, right? He's not writing this necessarily to us, he's writing this to a church, to a people, um, potentially dealing with a specific concern for Ephesus, uh, potentially having something to do with a, a pagan ritual that, that some were participating in, or maybe there was a, an issue within that church community that, that had to do with the overuse of, of wine. We don't know. But what Paul is saying is, so when we approach wine, right, wine in itself, he's, he's, he's not saying that the, the, the wine is, is evil or is, is the problem. He says what, it's that relationship that we have with it. Right? It's the, the way that we lose ourselves when we, when we take this too far. He's providing this concrete example of, of the difference between wisdom and foolishness. So there's these, these two ways of living. Right? These two ways of living. One is foolishness, which, which leads to debauchery, which which means it's self-satisfaction that's temporary, that, that eventually the, the fruit of all of that, that, that choice is, is regret. It says, and then there's the wise way, the, the way that builds others up, the way that leverages the, the things that are, that are in, our, in our world to, to help us be more spiritually vital, right? To grow us in, spiritually, in spiritual vitality. To be filled, right? Which is a present tense, not some future hope that might happen. But say, so, so we choose when we choose well the way we're going to spend our time, we choose well the, the way we're going to apply ourselves, that, that we are, are filled. We would be filled. Present tense reality of, of the relationship with, with the Spirit. And so he, in some ways, is, is, is talking about this, 
know, maybe if we don't know exactly the decision that could be made, maybe we're still trying to figure out what, what a wise choice would be. Maybe for some of us, there are, there are decisions that we will face or have continued to face, maybe even today or this week, where it's, well, we already know the outcome, right? I don't know what God would have for me. I don't know what, what, what decision I should make, but we say, well, I've been down this road before, right? I've faced a similar kind of decision before, and I know what the outcome is. Is the outcome what God wants for me or, or not? And so we make decisions, maybe not necessarily because we understand the, the, the specifics of the decision, but because we know the outcome. And we say, so which way, which way takes me closer to what God has for me? And then Paul describes this, this other way that we, are, that we get over ourselves, this other way of losing ourselves, and it has to do with building others up. Right? These psalms and hymns and songs from the Spirit, not just for God's benefit, that our worship, that, that as we gather, as we, as we sing together, that, it's, that it's, it's for God, it gives God glory, but it also builds up the body. Right? For some of us, we were singing songs as this service started, and there are words that maybe we couldn't even yet find it in ourselves to sing. And yet there were those around us who were singing with their like from their guts, right? Because they've walked the same kind of road because they're coming from a place of, of, of understanding and, 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 and to a point where, where it can give God glory for, for what he has done. And when we can't sing, when we don't have the words, that then there's others around us who, who can hold us up, who can, who can be an encouragement to us. So this twofold purpose of worship is to glorify God and to, to build up the body, right? to, to, to encourage those who, who we're walking with. And so Paul says, sing, right? Sing and make music from your heart to the Lord, always giving thanks to God the Father for everything in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. So in light of everything, in light of circumstances and decisions and all these kinds of things, what should we do? He says, so we, we sing, right? We sing so as to give God glory. We sing so as to, as to encourage those around us in, in, in their own journeys. He says, always giving thanks to God, which would then mean that it extends beyond the act of singing, that, that our gratitude and worship extends to the rest of our lives, that, that it helps us as we, as we continue the, in, the, in the loop of gratitude. That we say, God, thank you for what you've done. Thank you for the opportunities that, that are presented. Thank you for working through my life so I can see your hand at work. And this, this loop, this gratitude loop that, that continues, that, that helps us move forward. And so we give thanks. Paul is, is describing this Trinitarian worship, this worship that, 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 that's inspired by the Spirit, directed to the Father, that's, that's done in the name of Jesus, which sums up what we have to be grateful for, the name of Jesus who, who, who made a way for us, who stepped into our world so that, so that we have a way to, to, to be reconciled with God. And so gratitude becomes our way of living, right? which which helps us make the most of every opportunity, which helps us understand the, the, what's, what's scarce and what's abundant, which helps us understand the, what's context and what's the pursuit. So how should we live, right? What should we do? What does this look like for us as a people, as, as not just a person, but as, as people? You could take this and this whole passage and, and sum it up in, in this way that, that a life of gratitude that a life of gratitude allows us to live in community under the lordship of Jesus. A life of gratitude allows us to, to live in community under the lordship of Jesus, which means that, that grateful living, that applying gratitude to the act of living builds healthy community. Because when we're grateful, we don't feel entitled. Right? When we're grateful, we don't feel like we should be the one that benefits from everything that comes our way that we get over our entitlement, we, we get perspective. 
as a people, when we gather, maybe it's in small groups, when we gather in, in this place, that, that we get perspective on what's scarce and what's abundant, what's worth fighting over and fighting for, and what's not, what's worth pursuing, and what is just context. Right? These are the things that happen as we, as we build healthy community, as we, as we lean in and listen and say, so what does it look like for us to help each other get there, where it's not just that, that, that we're doing something, but we're, we're part of something where other people are being transformed as well. This, this, this community becomes healthy community. The grateful living, the grateful living is living wisely. This is the way that, 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 that living changes a community, that, that we, we start to focus on opportunity rather than time or things. Right? What is it that we can accumulate? Is it more time? Is it more things? That, that we look and we say, so, so what kingdom opportunities exist within this context? What, what things could happen? What is it that God might want to be doing within this, this time that I have been given? And we begin to see things as we talk about living wisely. We see that time is simply the context in which opportunity exists. Right? Time is simply the context in which opportunity exists. And, and, and things, things are simply the tools we use to maximize opportunity. Right? So we see things differently. So we say, what is it that we're trying to hold on to? What is it that we're, that we're focusing our, 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 our attention on, our energy on? Is it going to be the thing that's simply context or the thing that's simply the tool that helps us maximize opportunity? Which makes, as we talk living wisely, all of these things makes attention a valuable commodity, right? The attention becomes a valuable commodity because attention is how we actually create meaning out of the time that's been given to us as we look for and seek out opportunity. What is it that we're going to be focused on? What is it that our attention is going to be on? We see this in the world, this idea of attention. We look at, 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 at the world around us and, and the effort that is made to get our attention, right? The noise that, that exists within the world, the, the things that say, you know, it's, it's everything from breaking news headlines that are, that are breaking in or the, the advertisements that come our way that interrupt all sorts of things that, that, that attention, right? The, the, the most valuable commodity isn't just time, but, but what we're focusing our attention on. So what is it that we're going to attend to? What is it that we're going to focus on there's whole industries that exist to pull our attention away or pull our attention to something. There's extraordinary amounts of money that's spent on this, this commodity of attention. And so we're invited to attend to, we're invited to, to live wisely, to, to steward our attention in a way that maximizes the opportunities that exist in front of us. Because grateful living, grateful living is living under the lordship of Jesus. Right? to talk about community, to talk about what is it we're supposed to do, which is, is to simply say that everything, everything, what the things that we possess, the time that we have, the, the opportunities that exist in front of us, that, that all of these things are, are placed under the lordship of Jesus. And so we ask questions like, what does Jesus value? Right? If we're trying to figure out how we should steward what's in front of us, if we're trying to say that, that all of these things, if we take everything, the, the sum of our lives, we take, we take all of these things and we, and we say, well, this is... This is under the lordship of Jesus. And we say, so what is it? What is it that Jesus values? And what he values is people, right? So much so that, that he left heaven to come to earth to make a way for people to be transformed so they could be reconciled in relationship with God. Made a way to forgiveness for them, that, that he suffered and bled and died for people. Right? So Jesus values people. And so we look at our lives and we say, so, 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 so people... What opportunities do we have to connect Jesus with the people that he loves or the people that he cares about? 
which the follow-up question would be maybe to, to put a, a, a finer point on it. So, so then what does Jesus want to do with what I have? Right? If, if Jesus values people, if Jesus values the opportunities that we have to, to help the lights come on for people, then, then what does Jesus want to do with what I have? So everything that I have, everything that I have, the, 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 the possessions, the time, the, the energy, all these things I'm, I'm taking, I'm placing it under the lordship of Jesus, saying, saying what is it that, that Jesus wants to do with what I have? You could ask it this way, what does Jesus want to do? What does Jesus want to do with the opportunity that's in front of me? where we, we start to operate and say, so if Jesus was sitting where I'm sitting, if Jesus was having coffee with the person I'm having coffee with, what would Jesus be trying to do now? Right? He'd be valuing the person, but then he'd be looking for opportunity for deeper conversation. He'd be looking for opportunity to show them their value, to show them who they are in him, to show them what, what he has done for them. And so we operate in a different way instead of saying, so how do I hold on to the time that I have? How do I, how do I, how do I make sure that I get what I need to say? So what does Jesus want? What does Jesus want to, to do with, with the life that I have? And so we make the shift to gratitude. We, we understand the, the, the real opportunity, or that scarcity is the real opportunity. And we make the shift from holding on to time and things to focus and, and, and looking for kingdom opportunities. Because grateful living maximizes kingdom opportunities, which simply means that we that we live with expectation, that we live looking for, looking for God to be at work in the world around us instead of just saying, how do I get through this day? We say, what is it that God wants to do today and how can I get in on it? So we look with expectation that we, that we enter into conversation, that we enter into whatever context that, we, that we're operating in and we say, so what opportunities exist here that I'm expecting that, that God wants to do something, so, so how can I get in on it? So we, so, so we look with expectation that, we, that we're ready Right, that, we, that we know that there's, there's an opportunity that exists and then we make ourselves ready to act when that opportunity exists or the opportunity present, presents itself. And then we act. That we're a people who, who are active when, in the pursuit of, the maximizing of, the taking hold of, making the most of every opportunity, recognizing that there is opportunity. That we're ready and then when that opportunity presents itself, we act. It's a simple process, but it's for us the thing that, that makes the difference between living as unwise and wise. Say, God, what do you want to do? How can I get in on it?